0: Welcome to Conversations from the Café, a recap from our monthly community book club at Café con Libros, a feminist bookstore in Brooklyn. I'm Kalima D'Souz, the owner of Café con Libros and your host. I'm here with Kathy Wilgos, right? Wilgos to the store. Yes, you got it (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Kathy. Tell us a little about who you are.
1: Hey, well, thank you for having me. Thank you for being Um, here. I am a 24-year-old queer woman. Um, I'm originally from around Chicago, Mm -hmm. came to New York like two years ago after graduating from school. Um, I work in children's book publishing.
0: No. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I do. Um, Are you serious? Mm -hmm. How did I not know that? I don't know. I don't know if it's come up yet. Wow. Yeah, I work on kids' books. Um, I'm a production editor, so I do everything from like scheduling the production timeline to like copy editing and proofreading stuff. I don't
0: know what that means, but okay. (laughs) What does schedule in production, what does that mean?
1: Um, So it means I work in the department that kind of coordinates with all of the other departments to make sure like, okay, the editor has this book, they're reading it for a week and then they have to get it over to the design department a week later, kind of keeping all the other people on track as they work on it. Gotcha. And where in Brooklyn do you live? I live a couple doors down from this bookstore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And are you new to the neighborhood?
1: Yeah. I moved here with my boyfriend like two months ago now. From where?
0: We came from Harlem. Oh, right. So what made you move from Harlem to Brooklyn?
1: Um, Well, we were having kind of an iffy time with the old apartment. Mm -hmm. um, And we actually found ourselves coming to Brooklyn all the time. Right. With lots of friends here, doing a lot of stuff here. And it made sense to finally move to the place where we spend all of our time. Just make the move, I'm telling you.
0: Yeah. And how did you find the bookstore?
1: (laughs) Um, I literally moved in on the weekend that you were having a book club Mm -hmm. meeting and I saw the sign outside. Right. Um, So I was just passing by it. And I was like, you know, I have read that book that they're talking about and I live right here now, so I'd love to just go. So I literally moved in like a day before I showed up here. Oh,
0: wow. I think I remember that. Mm -hmm. Because you had, yeah, well, you, you all can't see, but Kathy just cut her hair. Yes, I Wait, did. Wait, what are your pronouns? She, her. She, her. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Oh, and she just cut her hair. But I remember you had like a, a bob, right? Yeah. Almost, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay, I remember that. <laughs> um, so you're new to Brooklyn, but what's your favorite place so far?
1: So far, it feels really like cliched, but I think it is Prospect Park. I know. Um, it's just beautiful. It is. And living close enough to walk there Literally. is amazing. Um, now that it's not like a thousand degrees outside. Right. I want to spend a lot more time there while I can.
0: Well, Peter just went.
1: He loves (laughs) it over there.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you identify as a feminist? I do, definitely. And do you have a coming of consciousness, feminist consciousness story?
1: Kind of. I definitely don't have like a singular moment. Right. But I do remember um, my older sister, Mm -hmm. she's like eight years older than me. Mm -hmm. I've always really looked up to her. Mm -hmm. And I remember her going to school Um, going to college and started studying women's studies. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at that age, I was, you know, maybe like 12, 13, something like that. And she was always like talking to me about the things she was learning in class. She'd like send me links to things Mm -hmm. that I read online. And I definitely credit her for sort of teaching me the language of feminism and the like academia of it. Let me tell you something.
0: I, I think back to when I was in college and I think back to sort of the decisions that I made around like what to study, my major. Mm-hmm. And I've, like I'm 40 folks and I think that I've told y'all this before, but I think like back in the day when I was in college, I don't feel like we, I, I can't say that any of my friends who who was in college with me at the point, that point in time decided to take something like women's studies because it didn't feel like it was Productive enough or industrially yeah. enough so we had like we chose like I have a bachelor's in social work and so I chose like a profession but I, I'm telling you I wish that gender studies or women's studies mm-hmm. would have had the platform now that it I mean back then that it does now that that is a formidable and viable and productive really? um, profession to you know to pursue because I think like that would have been my thing yeah right like uh, I'm jealous of your sister. All I know, to say that. No, it seems
1: amazing. I I went to Sarah Lawrence for undergrad, oh my gosh. Um, which I really loved the experience. Yes. Um, and that is kind of what you're explaining. It was the kind of environment where things like feminism were openly discussed yes. academically, socially. It's, it's um, the norm. It is, yeah. It's the and norm. That was a really, I think, important environment to be in wow. to sort of teach me
0: how to. So you damn sure are a feminist. <laughs> Full blown. <laughs> wow. (laughs) My goodness. So Kathy chose this book. I did. Um, Do you want to share with everybody why you chose this book?
1: Sure. Uh, So the book is The Kiss Quotient by Helen Wong. And I chose this book because I came to this book club a couple months ago and we were talking about a different romance novel. And it had been most people's first romance novel, I think Mm -hmm, is safe to say. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of people didn't love it or they had some problems with it. Right, Um, And I'm also pretty new to romance, but I feel like I wanted to come in and kind of defend the genre a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So I chose this book specifically because I think this one does a very good job of Addressing different aspects of the character's identity and yes. how that colors their world, yeah. and how they interact with each other, mm-hmm. um, in a way that feels more real yeah. than maybe some of the other romance novels
0: people have read. Oh my gosh! So I'm one of those folks who had a problem with the book. Everybody knows that if you <laughs> listen to the podcast, <laughs> did not like the proposal. However, this book I thoroughly enjoyed. I love this one. I yeah. really, I enjoyed it. From beginning to end, mm-hmm. enjoyed, enjoyed. And I was actually a little bit sad when it ended <laughs> because, you know, I get all like into my characters. They become my friends yeah. and I'm like looking forward to spending time with them. I really, really enjoyed this book. And you want to give us a little bit of a synopsis of like what this sure. book is about? All
1: right. Uh, so the main character is Stella. Um, she's now, I think, about 30 years old and she's starting to face pressure from her family. I think it's safe to say. Um, To start settling down, maybe have some kids. Um, But she's having a lot of trouble grappling with that because she's had really bad experiences in the past with men and with sex especially. Mm -hmm. Um, So the basic plot of the book is she hires a male escort Mm -hmm. (laughs) to essentially give her sex lessons. And it grows into she hires him to be a fake boyfriend for a while. Mm -hmm. And some like romance shenanigans ensue. And eventually they fall in love for real. Um, And it's a very nice happily ever after. It is.
0: It is. Um, What themes resonated for you?
1: I really found myself drawn to the way that this book talks about consent. Yes. This is something we talked about in the book club, definitely. Um, But I think the way that Helen Huang writes both characters really, um, really illuminates the ways that different people think about consent, mm-hmm. whether that's sexual or physical touching in other ways, right. um, she really gives a lot of authority to Stella right. to be able to say, this is how it's okay for you to interact with me, and this is how it's not okay. Right. Um, and that's something that she kind of learns over the book as she and Michael get closer, right? And I think it's very special the
0: way that it's written in this book. Yeah, and one of the things that I just want to reiterate, mm-hmm. re-iterate what Kathy said already is that Stella has Asperger's, and so this this conversation of consent is sort of like contextualized in her having Asperger's, mm-hmm. and as, as part of the this um, as part of her real life experience, you just can't touch her without asking permission because it can cause a reaction. However, I find myself just loving this idea of an intentional process. And I wrote in my journal on September 13th at 9.42 (laughs) in the morning. And by the way, y'all, it was 65 degrees. Um, So I write this whole thing about Stella. And, And I say in my journal, in other words, Stella can't read social cues. So things have to be made crystal clear. And I think to myself, there would not have been a clear request or consent around touch if she did not have asperger's it would have been assumed by the social cues right like mm-hmm. so as he's moving in towards her she could read it or like if he they both were reading sort of their connection um and then i say it was powerful to be a witness to an explicit and intentional process of both seeking and creating clear boundaries and i felt like Unfortunately, this had to be grounded in her Asperger's but because this is just the way it should be. It should Mm -hmm. just be normalized that even if you like somebody, even if you feel like you two have chemistry, even if you feel like, I know you want to kiss, (laughs) that you actually confirm that that person wants a kiss and you seek consent. And I felt like that, the whole conversation around consent was so beautifully done. Mm -hmm. Um, And not just for... Her, because she was saying that like she had Asperger's, but because he also wanted to say to her, like, this is your body and you get to say yes yeah. or no to things.
1: Yeah, that's something I definitely thought was powerful is, yes, we see Stella sort of coming into her own and learning how to vocalize her own decisions around consent. But we also have Michael, who already has this sort of inherent understanding of right. what consent is. right. And he creates the space for her to make choices. Right. Right. Um, And I think that is a really kind of a refreshing thing to see from a male character, honestly. Right. To see that he already understands implicitly what is and is not okay. Right.
0: Um, And she also asks him for, like, at one point, she also says, like, you know, that she... She asked him, she says, I never touch people without permission. So, mm-hmm. like, what is this thing that people, you can just go around, like, touching people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love that because also sometimes we, you know, most often, um, when, you know, probably 98% of rapes are happening from male to female, yeah. right? Yeah. And so um, there's this idea that that men hold all the power and that we don't need to necessarily ask them for consent mm-hmm. but In this book, there is a point where it's like, no, you've got to ask me if you want to kiss me. Like, you know, like you don't assume that you can't, like you're not supposed to ask me. And in particular, in this power dynamic, because he is a sex worker, you know, most people are going to treat him like an object and don't ever ask him for consent. And I just thought it was like just a healthy dialogue around it from both ends. Yes, absolutely.
1: And especially with Stella, you know, it could very easily be a story where, She has Asperger's and has to learn how to interact with other people. But we're never supposed to think that she doesn't know how to exist in the world. She's just sort of learning the language of connecting with other people. Right. But, you know, she has respect for him and his boundaries because that's how she would like to be treated. So it's not that she's different and can't understand him. She's just different. Yeah. And she has her own language around things. Right.
0: I love that. Um, may I share something that resonated with me? Sure, of course. So I think one of the the one of the things that resonated with me was um this idea that, of women taking up space and sort of owning their pleasure mm-hmm. um around sex. And I remember we had this luscious conversation in Girls and Sex about you know women believing that they have the right to pleasure. And in the book, um, Stella has had all these these not-so-great experiences with sex. And that's part of the reason why she wants to— she she hires Michael. Right. Not only— she wants to learn how to please her partner, which I think is completely okay, doable, normal. I don't have a problem with that at all. I think, like, the thing that— um, I feel, like, on some levels, what she had, like, this aha moment, and Michael sort of helped her have this aha moment, is around— um, being able to clearly articulate what she wants, right? So in on page 26, she says that was a novel concept to her. Intimacy almost always was a one-way thing. The men enjoyed it, sort of. She did not. And then they have a conversation about that she can tell him how to please her. So she says, can I tell you where to kiss me? Because she's never had that in her relationships before because her aim is always to please her partner, which is not a problem. We should be aiming to please our partners, but we also should believe that we have the right to have orgasms ourselves.
1: Yeah, this is actually one of the reasons I wanted—I was really excited that we were giving Romance Novel another chat. Mm -hmm. Um, Is, I think, it's kind of unfortunate, but a woman being able to vocalize her desire and— claim a sexuality to herself that is empowering is a political act in and right. of itself. Right, right. Um, and I think this is kind of something that's more hitting the mainstream right now mm-hmm. with these romance novels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're kind of bursting in popularity right now, mm-hmm. kind of rebranding from what we used to think romance novels are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this one specifically is a really good example of a woman being able to say, this is what I want. right. This is the pleasure I deserve and I'm entitled to. And the fact that she gets to live in this world where her partner agrees and he meets her where she is, um, it's, you know, it's refreshing. It's kind of new. Um, And it, to me at least, it changes what I thought a romance novel was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I always imagined romance novels as these very kind of frivolous, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not so feminist stories where… Um, you know, a woman is just looking for a man to sweep off her feet and she kind of serves him, but she enjoys it too. Right. Um, but I think books like this are really making a space for women to say, I am actually part of this relationship. Exactly. I am a partner in this. Right. I'm not just the object.
0: Right. Right. I love that. And I think, and there was a point in the book where Stella was feeling tense and he wouldn't have sex with her. He Mm -hmm. said, because I'm not going to have sex with a person that's tense. He could have, right? Like most men don't care if you're tense. They don't care if you're dry. They don't care anything, right? Right. They'll be like, you know what? You'll get wet while we're in the middle of it, you know? But he doesn't feel that way. He's like, and he's saying to her, you deserve to have your knees met. You deserve to feel relaxed. So um another can I share another thing there or explain to me yeah, again from my journal. Um So the other thing that I was that really spoke to me was this idea of hearing the narrative, uh, the story that Michael is having in his head around his own feelings for Stella mm-hmm. and the way in which he was grappling with his own insecurities, the way he was thinking to himself, I'm falling for this person and I'm not supposed to be falling for this person. All his stuff <laughs> so often is the woman that we hear and how she doesn't feel like she's good enough and um, she's too this or so she's too that. And Stella has that some of that. And we, we, talk about, we spoke a lot today in the book club about her having Asperger's and how that's like a main thing that is always on her mind. And it was also beautiful to see him struggle, to see a level of vulnerability from a man. Yes. Um, I just, I really appreciated that dialogue.
1: I did too. I think, um, you know, I haven't really read a book from a men's perspective in a long time. I don't usually end up reading books where the man is that kind of vulnerable Mm -hmm. and that honest in his emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was definitely engaging to see this and to see how he can be at once both really respecting Stella while also dealing with his own things. Right. You know, it never felt like his struggle was that he didn't know if she deserved his affection or his right. love. It was more just he didn't know if she deserved his affection. Right. You know, he was dealing with his own, his own, like, traumas. Right. Um, his own struggle with his role as a man in his family. Mm-hmm. And he kind of brought the perspective of he needs to work on himself first. Right. Before he deserves her. Right. And that I think is a very unique thing to right.
0: read. It's a very gender thing. That's mm-hmm. often what the woman is doing versus the yes. man. Right. So it was great to have the tables reversed on some levels. Mm-hmm. And to see that men actually do have feelings and that they <laughs> right, they they are feeling insecure yeah. and they are feeling vulnerable and they are questioning am I worth this, mm-hmm. even as he is walking around as like this great, good looking man in the relationship to her, he doesn't feel worthy because mm-hmm. he, he sees more value in what she's doing or who she is in the world versus who he is in the world. Definitely. And that often is not the case, right? <laughs> like it's, I mean, I know what I can say is like, I can't say it's not often the case because we don't know enough. We don't have enough stories mm-hmm. to say like, oh, this is the norm, When it comes—that storyline for a woman is so common that it wouldn't be anything extraordinary. Yeah, that's so true. It'd be so common.
1: Yeah. I think that's what's really powerful about having the alternating points of view in this one is we can see both of their different vulnerabilities. And we can see where they're kind of sensitive about the same things, where—but on the other hand, we see the things where Stella really admires things about Michael. Right. But in his head, he thinks of those things as weaknesses in himself. Exactly. Um. And the way that we can see them kind of clicking together right. and starting to understand each other from their own points of view. Yeah. And where they can fit into, into each other's lives. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How about you? What else resonated with you? Those <laughs> I bulldozed in the conversation because I love this book so much.
1: <laughs> it's okay. I was actually also hoping to talk about Michael because I think he's such an interesting character. Yes. Um, and I think that he, seem, he exists in kind of this ideal world where he doesn't need to be taught anything mm-hmm. about… Feminism about consent, mm-hmm. um, you know, to him, taking uh, taking care of his family is something that he wants to do because he thinks they deserve it, because he thinks he wants to provide for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be very masculine. Right. But there are these other things, like the way that he respects Stella and right. her right to set her own boundaries. Right. Where he didn't need to be taught those things. Right. On the page. Right. You know, he came into this story— already fully formed as right. a person who knows feminism and who knows how right. to respect people. Right. Um, and the fact that we didn't have to see him learn these things, but that he just has these beliefs already. Right. And he acts in these ways already. Right. Was really great. <laughs> right.
0: Seriously. Because I think that part of, one of the things we talked about was like part of his, the formation of his personality is is juxtaposed or in opposition to his dad. And yes. so, his dad clearly was not feminist-leaning. Mm-hmm. And so I think that part of his commitment to being feminist-leaning is because he's in opposition of his dad. Also, like we pointed out in the book club, is that he grew up in a family of just of majority women. He, are, right. he is the only male in that entire situation in which his his mom and his sisters and his grandma lives in. So there's a... There's a space in which it makes sense that he's, like one of the, the book club members said that he's paternalistic. <laughs> There's a space in which that level of masculinity is going to show up because you are the only male. Um, and yet he, he's able to see that women are strong, women are industrious, they yeah. are smart, they are capable, they're creative, they're bold. And and so he he can approach Stella in this particular way that allows her to be her full self, yet he still needs to work on himself right. to believe that he deserves this fully formed woman.
1: Yeah, he comes to the table with just full respect and admiration for her. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the first times they talk, I think he says something along the lines of, like, oh, she's so smart. Right. And I think that's hot. Right. You know, he. Sees her for who she is, which is a fully formed person. Right, right. And that is what he's attracted to. It's not just the fact that she's pretty. Right. Um, And that includes things that are uh, things about her that are informed by her Asperger's. Yes. Like she's very straightforward. Yes. Um, And he finds that really attractive in a lot of ways. He does.
0: And you know what? Kathy, like, I literally, that was going to be my next thing that I said, (laughs) that I talked about. And I said, oh, we could just move past it. Because on page 28, he says, do you always say exactly what you're thinking? And she responds, either that or I don't talk. No matter how she tried, she couldn't overcome it. Her brain simply wasn't wired for social sophistication. Mm -hmm. Like, but I thought to myself... So many of us police, sanitize, and edit what we have to say. Sometimes it's just about like speaking the truth. And I, on some levels, believe that we live in a society where people are not accustomed to that. They're not comfortable with that. They don't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. So like when you ask a straightforward question— People are startled by your genuineness, your authenticity, your Mm -hmm. curiosity about who they are as people. Because we live in a society where we don't speak directly to things. We speak around it. We speak above it, below it, or we don't speak out of it at all. We never speak straight to it. Mm -hmm. And I love that, again, her Asperger's is is sort of bringing to attention the the many faults that, um, that... our society holds Mm -hmm. by default, right? Like, she cannot, she's not with this small talk bull crap. She can't do that. But we live in a society that's all about that foolishness, Mm -hmm. right? And so she's like, don't touch me without asking, and I'm not going to touch you without asking, but we live in a society where it's okay to do that. Um... Yeah, so I really appreciated that part of it, like the highlighting of the faults in our own society.
1: Yes, yeah. And the fact that <clears throat> when the book opens with Stella admitting that she doesn't know how to have sex or she wants to get better at it. Right. Um, it's not necessarily because she is doing anything wrong. It's because she's had these experiences that have informed her. Right. That other people want something from her. Right, right. Um, And what she learns through the book and by getting to know Michael is that that's not necessarily the reality she has to subject herself to. You know, that was a few experiences with a few bad men. Right. But that doesn't mean that's how everything has to be. Right. And Michael comes in and he loves these things about her that she thought were faults in herself. Mm -hmm. But he considers them worth loving and worth admiring. Right. Um, And so not to say that it's his admiration that – shows that she's worthy of love. Right. But that it is kind of the first time that she's with someone who really does appreciate those parts of herself.
0: Right, right. And he's predisposed to sort of accept her. with No, unconsciously predisposed because his cousin mm-hmm. is autistic. So he has a level of tolerance and understanding, even though it's not completely manifesting and is it hasn't been brought to the consciousness yet at some point in the book the fact that he's able to see her her actions and treat it with a level of curiosity and compassion says that and that that's only because he has this cousin you know mm-hmm. um the other thing that i really um appreciated about this book is that it, it it gave us an opportunity to think about people who are different like folks who have asperger's like just like just to name it you know just folks who are just who don't who don't operate in the world the same way and and just like how hard like not how hard but like how much work that they have to do and she talks about you know being in social settings and how it's so easy for other people but for her it's a lot it's actually hard work mm-hmm. and on page one twenty three um, this is what I mean there are many aspects of the book that get, it like I I was saying oh my gosh like you know I thought I knew, but I didn't really know. This is like a sort of an intimate look. Yeah. And 120, 123 really felt so powerful when she says, for several stomach-twisting moments, she ran through her list of pre-socialization reminders. Think before you talk. Anything and everything can be an insult to someone. When in doubt, say nothing. Be nice. Sitting on your hands prevents fidgeting and feels good. Make eye contact. Smile. No teeth. That's scary. Don't think about work. Don't let yourself talk about work. No one wants to hear about it. Please and thank you. Apologize with feeling. Mm-hmm. The things that we take for granted, she has, to, she has to literally be intentional and explicit about it. And I again, there, here are these things where when you think before you speak. We should be doing that. <laughs> but it's not, like, we don't, in, in, in quote unquote normal society, is not that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no intentionality be, behind it. And I think, like, this is, again, this is a, a result of her having Asperger's, but it's also illumination to, to something that's also just missing in society in general, the common courtesy to just be fully present mm-hmm. and mindful in what we say and how we say it.
1: Yeah, and we realize how much work it takes for yes. people who are maybe mis- missing these ability to pick up on social cues. Right. How much work they have to put in to meet sort of the baseline that everyone else kind of takes for granted. Yes. Um, and I think this is really where the author herself fills the pages with her own experience. Right. You know, there's the author note in the back of the book where she talks about how she didn't, she, the author, Helen Huang, Um, didn't know that she had Asperger's until her own daughter was diagnosed. And that's when she learned that she's not just alone in the way that she thinks and the way she operates in the world. You know, she was able to name the way that she exists, the way that she thinks, and find a community around that. And that's what's so special about the way she writes Stella is that she fills it with her own real experience and her own real way of thinking. Right.
0: Her real anxieties, right? And so one of the things that we did talk about was— We had somebody in here whose partner is on the spectrum as well as their daughter. And she talked about like just how consuming Mm -hmm. it is. But also just like when you meet somebody who gets you, how peaceful that could be. Like just how wonderful that can be because you don't have to worry about them like stepping outside of a boundary and like making you uncomfortable. They get you, they get it. And so they don't, you know, they don't need it. Um, so yeah, I, that, the, the part about, you know, having Asperger's is really important. And the final thing I want to say about like having Asperger's, we read a lot of books. We read, read a lot of romance novels. No, I don't. This is my second one. But oftentimes the, the characters are perfect. So for me, it was really, it was beautiful for me to, um, to see this woman who is different and who's not perfect Engage in sex, mm-hmm. in romance, in debauchery. <laughs> I loved it. But also just like to find herself and to find love, like acceptance of herself and acceptance from him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really, really important because often we think, not we, but I forget that differently abled people or disabled people um, don't need love too or are not in love or don't have sex like we we just make them asexual because we I, for me not we i lack the imagination of them being sexualized and also is is so little representation on television around dif- differently able or disabled folks being sexual mm-hmm. you know and this and she's not physically disabled but she is disabled in her own way "Unquote." I think she right. just shows up differently in the world but right. if you know in in a way in which we in our medical terms in a way in which we describe this she would be considered disabled
1: mm-hmm. you know yeah and I think that's why I especially like that we're reading this romance story mm-hmm. specifically is You know, yes, I personally like the romance. I think it's fun. You know, the sex scenes can be real fun. Mm -hmm. The, like, hijinks can be funny. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes down to it, I think it's so important to be able to see that people who are not like me or not like us also exist in this four-dimensional world. Where, you know, they deserve love. They experience love. You know, just because we're not always seeing it in other media doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. Um, So I really like… The fact that uh, a story like this can be very light and very frothy.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And at
1: the same time, Mm -hmm. it can be very important to see someone who's not like me experiencing a story just like this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's definitely a trend that the romance world has been going through recently. You know, I'm not a scholar of romance by any means. I'm relatively new to it. Right. But, you know, for a while I was turned off to it because I was like, I don't need to see... My millionth damsel in distress right. falling in love with, right. oh, knight in Shining Armor. Right. But more and more, we're giving publicity to books like this, mm-hmm. where the stories are new to maybe a mainstream audience. Right. But they're not new to the people writing these books. Right. Um, and they're finally getting the chance to write stories with their own experiences. Right. Or with their own fantasies. Right. Um, and that that has just as much of a space. Right in mainstream literature. And the characters
0: else. all don't look alike and that yeah. crazy cover where, you know, it's him with his shirt open and he <laughs> has like a six pack and with long hair that's blown in the wind and she's being, he's holding her because she probably fell yeah. down. Like some crazy. She's like, this is real stuff. And even though there are aspects of this book, like in terms of Um, class is an issue in this, you know, like he is not, she's a a upper 1% kind of sort of class. And he is probably upper middle class. If that, I mean, they could have been that, but they're probably working class at this point because Mm -hmm. what, what his dad did in terms of him swindling the mom out of her money and things of that sort. And so class is a big issue, um, that then gets intersected with gender because she's the person with the money and he isn't and yes. he's the sex worker and she's the professional. Um, it gets it gets mixed up in this very interesting way and it's like a reoccurring theme um, around class. Like one, one time they went to dinner and he wanted to pay for the dinner because they're supposed to be dating and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And she's like, why wouldn't he let me pay for the dinner? Like the money is inconsequential to me. Like it doesn't matter. I can just pay for it. But it's, it, it's, he, she doesn't understand his need to pay. Yeah, and, she, and he doesn't understand her necessarily her relationship with money. I don't even know if he knows how stack. She, I think he has an idea of how stacked she is, but not. But like he doesn't really understand. Yeah, she but does he, offer him like fifty thousand a month, right? <laughs> and he's like, what? Just for a month of work, you know? So, yeah, clap. I wrote down um, on page one fifty three that. um that this is about you know like class issues keep coming up mm-hmm. right and it's just it's something that we need to pay attention for and one of the things that I shared in in my um in the book club is about a friend who and I, I'm not going to give too many details because they may be listening sure um but whose partner is is well off more well off than than her and it allows for a different um experience of love it, it allows for a different like how romantic can you get like how how much leisure and space that when you make a certain amount of money can you have because you have money you know and when people are just like working check to check there's no mental emotional, space and certainly there's no financial space to sort of get creative with your love and to keep it vibrant and and healthy. However, when you have all this money, you could like literally just get up and say, let's take a trip somewhere. And that within itself will turn a bad day into a bright day. Yes. You
1: know? Yeah. And that discussion of class is something that I think is really missing from right. romantic stories in media. You know, the easy one off the top of your head is Pretty Woman talks about money and class. But honestly, other than that, anytime you watch a rom-com, the main female protagonist, you know, we never really see her doing much work. Maybe she has a freelance career, but she has this enormous, like, New York apartment for herself. And there's definitely money in there that's not spoken about. right. Um, and we, the audience, are just sort of supposed to take the story at surface level, right. not really think about the reality of their lives, right. not really consider how having money allows them the opportunity to be more romantic, exactly. more spontaneous, exactly. more frivolous. Right. Um, and this book really gets into not only the class disparity, but the power differentials. Exactly. Um, like when we meet Michael's like old client who... Always tried to have so much power over yep, him. She yep. was obsessed with him. She was buying him this fancy car and right. paying him so much money. And right. what she expected was that that was transactional and right. that he would love her for it. Right. Um, but we actually see that he feels offended and belittled and right. dehumanized right. by those actions. Right. Um, and the fact that that kind of class and money conversation is actually explicit in the book. Right. I think is very important. Yep.
0: Yeah, and she's older, yeah. and she's a white woman. Yes. And so how—and she treats him like an object, an object that she's she's fond about, but she's fond about him because he provides something for her. I don't know if she really cares about him, does she know anything about I him. Agree. You know, but it's like this, this idea that I control you and your worth because I am paying you, right? And so I think that he also struggled with that because he didn't want—I don't know if he—like, Stella— he he felt really uneasy about his relationship to Stella because she was paying him. And he was falling for her and she was paying paying him, you know? Yes.
1: Um, there's a part right at the beginning when they first meet on mm-hmm. page 13 um, where he's going to the restaurant to meet Stella for the first time mm-hmm. after she's hired him. Um, and she introduces herself, very straightforward. She says, I'm Stella Lane. Nice to meet you. He stared at her open expression and proffered hand for a stunned fraction of a second. This isn't how clients greeted him. They usually waved him into a seat with a sly curl of their lips and a sparkle in their eyes, that sparkle that said they thought they were better than him, but were looking forward to what he could offer anyway. She greeted him like he was an equal. This is like their first interaction right, right off the bat. We already know about Michael's interactions with rich women, right. his experience as a sex worker, um, the way that he has been objectified mm-hmm. and dehumanized. Mm-hmm. And all of that sort of colors in his experience with mm-hmm. Stella. And he is in awe of the way that she respects him as an equal. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of also true of her point of view as well. Right. Where she's had these bad experiences with men and mm-hmm. relationships in the past. And she's stunned at how Michael treats her as an equal. Right. Despite how different she, she is. is. Um, and so I think they come into this relationship with a really special level of mutual respect for mm-hmm. each other. Even mm-hmm. before they even know each other.
0: And one thing that we didn't talk about in the book club is that I wonder um, how we would have received this if she was the sex worker, right? Like, so there's something hot and spicy about him being a sex worker. And there is literally no—we do not look down on men who are sex workers. Like, I know I don't, you know? And I don't look down on women who are sex workers either because I've had— the opportunity and the sort of the honor to work alongside sex workers, so I have a different politic around that. But I think, like overall in society, folks look look down on sex workers of the female persuasion. One last, thing, I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about. But one last thing that I do want to talk about um, is how did what what racial um, identity did you give Stella? I I
1: thought she was an Asian woman. Yeah, um, this came up in the book club. Yeah. I actually didn't even realize until someone in the book club mentioned it that her race isn't described explicitly. Right. Right. Um, I think I projected a lot of it because the author is an Asian woman and because she is so explicit about Michael being Vietnamese. Yes. um, And that Stella has some sort of cultural touch points. And we see Stella making all of these references that I picked up on, like she knows Korean dramas and Korean right. stars and oh, action movies and things like I that. That's probably why I thought
0: that she was Korean. I know that there was yeah type of reference. They yeah. didn't say
1: explicitly, but I cl- I kind of took those details right. to, right. I guess, make the assumption. Yeah. Um. So it was really interesting to come in and hear that everyone else kind of had different interpretations. Yeah. I mean,
0: some people saw her as white, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> why? I mean, really and truly, I mean, I mean, Helen. Well, apparently Abby said—yeah, one of the community members said um, that she listened to um, an interview with Helen who said that she explicitly did not state Stella's racial identity. And for me, I read her as an Asian woman, and that for me made the book even more beautiful because, like I said in the book club, rarely do we see an empowered, sexualized um, Asian woman— we talked a lot about the ways in which you know um asian women are the like, sort of considered the fetish of most white men um and i don't know of men of color but for sure white men um because of the them being subservient and gentle and like like delicate so We talked about that, but here is this woman who is taking up sex like a class. Like, she wrote friggin' agendas and (laughs) syllabus and, like, curriculums around, like, here's what I want to learn and this and that. And she, like, she really owned it. And then when she got into it, like, when she was giving him head, like, she got into giving him head. And how often do we see, read, hear about Asian women being in charge of their own sexuality for their own benefit and not necessarily for the benefit of someone else.
1: Yeah. And she starts the book definitely inexperienced and maybe naive in a few ways, but never fetishized by Michael. Right. You know, she wants to learn. She takes, uh, I mean, like you said, she writes these agendas. She takes control of her own. Right sexual exploration right and it feels very powerful even to see her start from a place of inexperience
0: yeah yeah so kathy um any big moments with the book oh i
1: feel like all of the big things are actually the small things for me um like all the really small details the conversations they have where they just sort of say like i see you right um right wherever um Stella says things like, oh, this is just the way I am. Right. Like, oh, I'm trying really hard to not be this way. And we see Michael be very gentle with her and right. very accepting and say, like, you don't have to hold yourself to the standards of other people. Right. Um, and I can't pinpoint just one spot because it happens over and over again. Right. Um, right. But that to me is sort of the powerful, like, the meat and bones of the book.
0: Yeah. Is yeah. just seeing
1: each other and accepting yeah. each other.
0: Yeah. So I had many, like… Big moments, The certainly the conversation on consent. We started there. We can end there, too, because yeah. like, that was a big moment. But also, like, one of the big moments for me is when she really came into her sexual being. Um, and on page 196, she said, it says, When she ran her palms over her breasts and rubbed the tips with restless motions— He did groan. That was fucking hot. And she had no clue. You know, like she began to like touch her own body in this very sexualized way and um, begin to engage her body in a way that was her own. And the other thing, I mean, we're not going to get to talk about this, but like one of the things that this book, an internal shift, because that's the next question for me around this book was this. This idea of prioritizing romance and love and touch and kiss and like being close to your partner. And like I spoke in a book club about Ryan and I having a baby and now... I I, we barely kiss, we barely touch. We like, I mean, he'll slap me on my butt here and there, and I like sometimes I slap him, and you know he'll like rub on my nipples sometimes. But it's not we we're not prioritizing romance and intimacy in the way that it needs to be prioritized. And this book like reminded me of that, and reminded me of why it's necessary. And it is. And here's the thing where I thought you were going to go earlier in terms of like what we think about romance. We think about romance as this effortless thing of like, oh my gosh, you're so sexy. And everybody falls into bed and they have this hot, luxurious love love making. And like, okay, great. Some people may have that, but the majority of us actually have to work at it. The majority of us actually are having conversations in the middle of it. Or we should be having conversations in the middle of it about it, about what we like and what we don't like. And I like the fact that she, Helen, wrote those awkward, real moments in we're talking and we're moving and we're shifting and I'm telling you what I like and what I don't like and I think that that's real romance that's real love that's real intimacy
1: yeah I totally agree that these kind of interactions and these kind of relationships can be romantic Mm -hmm. even if they're not something out of a fantasy book Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. that like things that are grounded in reality are in and of themselves romantic as well yes
0: on a scale to 1 to 10, how would you rate this book? I would give it a 10. I oh, loved yeah! it. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> Kathy, thank you so much for being a lovely co-host. Thank Any you for having Any final thoughts me. for the audience?
1: Oh, I hope everyone likes this book. Um, Helen Huang's second book um, is called The Bride Test. And that one came out, I think, just a couple weeks ago or months ago, rather. Um, and that was really good, too. Oh, great. So if you liked this one, you should read that one.
0: Great. Folks, thank you so much for joining us here at Café Con Libros, Conversations from the Café. Please follow us on all our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Café Con Libros underscore BK. Uh, Please subscribe to the podcast. Rate us. Please send us feedback on how we can get better. Also visit us at www.caféconlibros underscore, no, sorry, caféconlibrosbk.com. Um, share, tell, tell everybody about us. And our next book is the fifth season. And unfortunately, sometimes th- these podcasts come out like right before the next book club. But if you're following us on, on Instagram, and if you are subscribing to the website, you'll get all this information. Thank you again for joining us and we'll see you next month.